The Smiley Professionals Network presents its first podcast, The Smiley Connection. We'll speak with professionals from all walks of life and across all industries to bring you compelling stories about their career journeys. We'll laugh, we'll learn, and we'll connect. Who knows, you may find your next Smiley Connection on our show. Yalamadatan hello to everyone. It's Reem Merchant, your host. And on today's show, we have Riaz Patel. Riaz Patel is an Emmy-nominated executive producer and director based in Los Angeles, known for transformative TV projects. His work spans multiple networks with shows filmed in 21 countries and distributed globally on platforms like A&E, MTV, Hulu and Netflix. Riaz recently produced the Rad Impact Awards, featuring A-list celebrities and garnering significant online attention. Hope you've had a chance to listen to the previous part of Riaz's podcast, where he talked about his journey with navigating his life and his purpose in this ever-evolving world. Riaz discussed how he shifted from medical school and stepped foot into the Hollywood industry. Despite all the adversities he faced through the conflicts in his career and the loneliness, he managed to get his success through perseverance and hard work. Please do listen to part one if you haven't caught it already. In today's second part of the podcast, Riaz goes into depth about explaining his startups, the connect effect and the four chais, and the purpose of them cultivating a sense of connection and healing in people's lives. This podcast concludes with Riaz transitioning into discussing his journey of faith and maintaining the balance of deen and dunya in his life. Human connection, it's its primal, it's vital, and it's disappearing. And so I think that's really my focus, whether it's Connect Effect, whether it's Four Chais, um, or whether it's Animated Show, or any of the projects I'm developing with my agent to take out in Hollywood. It's, it's very much how can we help people feel less alone and more hopeful because the narrative of the screens will always make you think it's hopeless everything and i think that's a reason why there's such a large mental health problem is people look at their screens and it's all doom and gloom all the time and so anything that can bring light and hope and connection and community and conversation that's my focus now for this next chapter I really love the words you use, the pandemic of isolation and that how the screen is actually helping us in ways to escape the bubbles that we've created for ourselves. And your work with Four Chais or with Connect Effect helps only foster that um, perspective of inclusion and diversity. What is your approach to collaboration and your experiences managing and working with diverse teams and navigating those challenges? It, I will say it's gotten a little harder. You know, I think in an era I, when I started out, it was it was never about you. You know, if I started, you know, whether it was a terrifically abusive dynamic with my boss or it, it just there was no sort of authority or power that anyone had in the machine. Now the pendulum swung very much to the other side where everyone has, you know, needs and everyone, you know, wants to be heard. And that's very important, but it can be very hard 
to lead a group together in lockstep when everyone feels like their perspective must be heard and honored. And, and yes, that's important, but so is teamwork. And sometimes that becomes very difficult. I'm board chair of an organization called Odyssey Impact, which is a very old company that has created impact documentaries um, very much in the interfaith space as well. And we're finding it very challenging. And now the good thing about the good thing about being on a board is I'm not involved in day to day. I'm I'm uh, about thirty five thousand feet above that. And the executive director and the CEO we meet and we talk about it. But they're finding it very challenging to manage a group where everyone is struggling with either mental health or issues of wanting to be heard and seen. So I think that that's tricky. I think though, if you see that. So much of our experiences, they're not the same, but they're analogous. That's where you really find connection. You know, there's a great thinker, Gabor Mate, and he has this um this thing called the spirit or the empathy of recognition, which essentially is there's nothing in you that isn't in me. Not literally the same, but there really is nothing in your human experience that I can't connect to. And so whether I'm leading a team or connecting people through Connect Effect or Forchise. It's very much how do we go back to this basic human need to be seen and heard, but also to believe in each other's stories of being seen and heard. So it's not just about you, but it's about us. And I think managing people is anytime I've ever asked in a panel, what's the hardest part of your job? It's managing people. Because depending on the series, you know, the staff can grow to 100, 150, 200 people. And that's 150, 200 different personalities. And that's always tricky. That'll always be the larger your organization gets, the larger your, 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 your company gets, the more management time you need. And I think it's really reminding people proactively of the bigger mission and that everyone has a part to play. Um, and you may not get every idea you want across, and you may not get every everything that you believe in greenlit. But if you believe in the larger vision, and that vision is articulated to you in a way that is emotionally inspiring, and that's, that's a tricky thing in a work-from-home world, is, again, you know, going back to the statistic I said, is you know, only 7% of communication is words, and we're all on Zoom with partial attention. And it's very hard to get people emotionally invested because you're not physically in the room with them. And so being able to emotionally inspire people continually, even when you're not in the same physical space, is hard. It's hard. But I think that is the only way to get people to work together as a team. And everyone works together better when they feel like they're a team rather than everyone rowing individually. Um, that is, I think, the key... I would say that if you asked people on my shows, whether it's the network, whether it's the hosts that I've worked with as you know, show running shows where they were the talent, they would say I'm very, very good at articulating the vision of why we're there and what we're all working towards. And I think that giving people that North Star, that compass, is very, very important if you're going to lead, um, especially in creative endeavors where there is no actual answer you know there's no second when i'm sitting in an edit bay and there's a million choices i could make between that queue or that queue how long the queue lasts what the title what the titles look like what the color of the titles is i've got no science to fall back on and say here's the actual fact it's all instinct 
So I think the more I believe in that North Star and transformation, and the whole team does, the editors, the PAs, the producers, the director of photography, the camera, the sound, the caterers, everything, the more that they believe in that, the more going to work becomes a pleasure. And we're all proud of what we're doing. And it it just, it ends up being a much better process. This is great. I, I think uh, we'll now segue into the second part of the conversation where we look at spirituality. We'll try to take our listener on the journey inwards now. So what is your perspective on integrating spirituality into the professional realm? It has been a journey. Um, I would say I have always prayed. That was always, always something I did, um, whether it was in Jamaat Khan or not. I always, always prayed. I always believed in some higher power. But I think it was a journey coming to terms with trusting spirit um, because it, it was it was a strange upbringing. You know, I was born in one hemisphere. I was born in Karachi, Pakistan, but I was raised in another. And most of my childhood was in a very, very rural town in rural Maryland. And that was so strange to be born in one con- one side, one hemisphere and raised in the other. You know, I would wake up in a Muslim house in a Christian world where I was sent to Jewish schools where everyone thought I was Hindu because my name was Patel. You know, I'm a guy. But being gay, I never was one of the guys. You know, I would often end up being around the girls, but I was never a girl. And so I think I always felt very alone. I always felt very isolated. And so a lot of times I'd be very angry at the universe. Why did you put me in this position where I feel so alone? And I realize now that that was my origin story. And every superhero has an origin origin story. And who I am now and the things I can do comes from that. And so I think I always believed that, and it's a very smiley thing, service to others. Always, always, always. I could have made a lot more money and had a lot bigger, grander success if I if I did not cling to that. If I had done shows where, you know, whether it's your big brother or Survivor or those big, big global box, big, big global brands that, you know, I was offered, I could not go to work and leave people worse for having been on my set. And so the ethical component of what am I willing to do for success has kept me on a very, very specific path. Um, I think there's so many times, and, and I can speak from my profession, but I imagine this is true in many professions where you don't know exactly where you're going. You know, whether it's the profession is changing or you have no idea how you're going to pay rent this month or if it's all going to fail or you're going to end up being, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to end up going back to medical school or law school because you didn't succeed. You know, and that was for me. You're not, not wanting to do that as my primary path. Um, you You really do have to cultivate some sense of faith that you will end up where you're meant to be, especially if you try and keep trying. And that faith really kept me going. Um, because so many, so many years, I had no idea if this was all going to be a disaster. I had no idea if I would end up 
tail between my legs going back home to mom and dad and saying it didn't work. You know, it was just a phase. And so I think having that faith and that connection to God, and for me, a higher higher purpose of trying to help, trying to transform, trying to make people feel better, really kept me going step after step after step. I think when things get very hard, and I think, again, it's very isolating now in the world, a lot of people working from home, a lot of people feeling lonely, a lot of people getting up and thinking, why am I doing this? You know, so many times in the early parts of your profession, and not just the early parts, even now, there's huge parts of every day that I don't love. You know, I love pitching. I hate hustling to get the pitch appointment. And that's just a necessary evil in what I do, is so much of what I do is sales. And I'm not a person who likes to ask people for help. I'm definitely not a person who likes to impose on people. But at some point, I had to get past the things I didn't like. And that's when I would say, you know, God, help me get through this. Help me get to this other side. Um, And so navigating the tumultuous waters and navigating the things you don't like and navigating the days that are really hard you know a lot of the times you're not going to get the reinforcement from the outside world whether it's your boss or your team or your family you know it's great if you do but sometimes and many times you don't and so it's being able to create a faith in something bigger than you that is guiding you along and that was what i had to believe in because if i looked to the outside world for validation, where was I going to find it? You know, and it, it, there was nowhere to find, whether it was you know, my profession or even my family um, being gay, that just it wasn't there. You know, my sisters were always supportive, but there were many influences in my family, aunts, uncles, and all that were just not. And so I had to develop and cultivate a belief in myself. And the person I would turn to in those darker times was, was God and, and my inner voice and saying, there's no way I'm here without some bigger purpose. It just doesn't make sense. And so giving over to that really got me through. You know, I, and you, we talk about the Emmy Awards. I don't I don't think about it every day. Um, but I remember being there and thinking, how did this happen? How did this little boy from rural Maryland who got an old Volvo and drove across the country and didn't know anyone and started as a bartender end up here. And so it really was a faith that step by step, just do your best and try, you know, there's something bigger that that is guiding. And that that faith has always gotten me through and it still gets me through. You know, when I worry about my kids, or I worry about the world, or I worry about this startup of Connect Effect, you know, it's, it's going so against Every impulse, every algorithm, every natural, the whole world's forces are putting us more and more and more on our screens. And I'm like a salmon swimming upstream and saying, no, 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 people, you need to be in person. And so I have to give over to that faith. Um, and that's that's really an, an, an engine that has gotten me through a lot. The way you put it, choosing your ethics like over money or over power might not be the obvious choice in the moment but making the right choice has never been easy but that is the only way that will provide the satisfaction end of day in our faith we have this concept of deen and dunya um, which is Mm -hmm. like the balance of faith and worldly life what 
do you do to maintain that balance with your professional responsibilities and with the spiritual driving force that you have i i pray daily i think i am often in conversation with god whether it's in my car by myself or in a really particularly difficult moment at work you know like i i i will i will i will pray i will have this dialogue with god you know Allah, please help me through this um it was funny you talk about doing the right thing I, I, so i live in in the hills of, of sherman oaks so one side of these hills is hollywood hills and the other, other side is sherman oaks and i am surrounded my neighbors by really big celebrities in big 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 houses and i will tell you in my professional life i've come across many 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 celebrities that i don't really know anyone who gets to that a list that is really happy and i've been into so many of these people's homes huge gorgeous homes and it's lonely people rambling about them looking for friendship validation but always hustling you know and they're part of a machine of manager and agent and publicist and you know so i do think that those people who end up really trading off what's what's right for big, big money and success, I've rarely seen that lead to happiness. And I'm around them and I'm in their homes. They are my neighbors. And I know almost no exception to the rule. And I really want to put that out there in a world where people are sitting on their phones, craving celebrity, craving money, craving this idea of what success is, that I live, these are my neighbors and I'm in their homes. And I can't, I really can't think of anyone who would say, that they're happy that that but but it becomes like any addiction of more 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 i think i think there are so many temptations and at the time i was coming up in my profession there was even less we didn't have instagram we didn't have TikTok. um i think a motto i always follow is if you change what you're looking for it'll change what you see that if you are looking for all of the things that are worst in the world, you know, this is never going to work for me. This is always horrible. Uh, you'll find that. You will find that. If you are looking for team members who believe in you, if you're looking for connection, if you're looking for hope, you will find that. And so I really think it's very important to be careful, to be very mindful of what you're looking for. And that applies in a large part to what you what appears for you on your screen. You know, I I'm very careful about what I consume with my eyes and my mind on screen. You know, I don't follow tons of big huge celebrities that would make me feel bad about my home, my life, my world. And so I think cultivating a spiritual voice, a spiritual perspective today means being very careful what to edit out. What do you not allow into your mind and your heart and your soul? Because 99% of that is coming from the screen that's in your hand, that's in your pocket, that's with you everywhere. It's funny, today we had um tickets to, my kids had their little holiday show, and the school sent home these physical tickets. And they're like, you won't get in without these tickets. And I was like, oh, where? how am I not going to lose them? And I put them in my phone case 
between the phone and the case because I was like, oh, there's no way that I'll ever leave the house without that. And so it really is this thing that comes around everywhere you go. And I think the one of the biggest friction points now in a spiritual path and a spiritual connection is being mindful of what gets in through that device. And so being very careful, what are the accounts you follow that make you feel better? What are the accounts that only always leave you feeling worse? What are the friendships that you have around you that make you feel better? And who are the people that always compare and compete that make you feel worse? And being very mindful of what comes into your ears and your eyes in the same way that you have to be mindful of what goes in through your mouth for your body. And I think that is the thing that I try very hard to maintain on a daily basis in terms of maintaining and preserving and strengthening my spiritual connection is editing out what doesn't serve me so that I'm very clear about what I'm looking for, which will determine what I see. This mindful approach to, to take when you are consuming information is super critical to promote mental health and yes. to just maintain your own sanity. I feel that another way, and in fact, research proves this, to have better mental health is to engage in community service, yes. to engage in volunteering acts of seva, as we call it. Can you talk about your involvement in community service activities and how has this experience enriched your understanding and just your life? Thank you for that. So it has always been there. I, I, I remember when I was really struggling with my identity, with life, with uh, beginning a career, that when I would feel really, really, really bad, I would think to myself, reach out to someone who's feeling worse now, whether it's someone who's, you know, it could be my, my grandmother at the time who was alone at home with many, many, many health conditions or, you know, a friend I know who, who's gone through a really hard time. So I think in general, I've always been able to lean on giving over of myself and giving service to feel better. Even in the most intense days when I was at William Morris and staplers were being thrown at my head and I say staplers because it was more than once, um, I would leave at six o'clock on Mondays to be a group facilitator with people with HIV and AIDS. And this is again, late nineties. It was very, very different then. And my agent used to yell at me when I was leaving, but I cleared it with HR and said, look, I will work 24 hours a day, except this window of three hours. And so even when he would be so mad at me for leaving, and give me such a hard time. But really, you know, what could he say? He's like, you know, you're going off to help people who are who may be who feel like they're dying. And I would be in that room with eight to ten people, and I would give over. And again, it's the, the psychological effect is transportation, giving over for yourself. Many years ago, I started working 14 years ago at a domestic violence shelter. I realized that I toured the shelter. I had been introduced to it by Halle Berry. We had done a project together, and she said, come see it. And I was like, oh, these um, these women are doing incredible work with themselves and continuing education and helping their children. But if they ever pass a mirror, they sort of avoid it. And so they still see themselves as a victim. And I realized the only way to change the way they saw themselves was to change the way they saw themselves. And so I built this boutique and salon in the shelter. It's beautiful. We have these chandeliers. They're, they're plastic, but no one knows that but me. But 
women walk in and they're shocked because this is the shelter. And I say, that's good. I'm trying to, I'm trying to break you from your reality. And when we do, uh, every sort of first Monday of the month, we do these internal external makeovers where we take these women who've done amazing work and we say, okay, close your eyes. Where are you five years from now when this is all a distant memory? I'm running a company. Okay. What does your office look like? It's, it's large. What is the desk glass or wood? Who's in your office? Is there a secretary outside? Be very specific with what this vision is. Then we turn them around. Hair and makeup comes in. Wardrobe comes in. All the clothes are new. That was a whole thing. I wanted the clothes to be new. I wanted them to pull the tags off. And then we turn them around. And it is this projection on steroids. And trauma caseworkers will say in the shelter, yes, they do a lot of work in trauma, but nothing draws a line in the sand with trauma like Riaz's internal external makeovers. They just don't see themselves the same way again. And so I've been doing that now for 14 years. There's always a way to give. And that is primal in terms of feeling connected to community of feeling better about life, feeling hopeful, feeling like you're of use to people. And I really think, especially when people are coming up in the profession and there's a sense of, you know, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm so busy, and I get it. Like, oh, I get it. You can carve out that window of time, and it is almost more for yourself than for the people you will help. And that really is a great secret of life, is that giving that time absolutely impacts you almost more than it impacts anyone else. Um, and that has always been there. There's almost no period of my career since I started that I've not carved out that window. And maybe it wasn't every week, some months went by and it didn't happen, but there was always some organization or project that I was working on that I would step away from the me of my life into someone else's world and someone else's help. And I think there's a lot of motivation that comes from that, you know, that you see so much need and you feel so good about your ability to make an impact. And I think that strengthens self-esteem and that strengthens self-determination. I think that feels really good in a way that helps give fuel to the engine that is needed to succeed and build whatever profession you want to go into. And even if it's not directly, directly correlative to what you do, it doesn't matter. It sort of refreshes the soul so that you can go back and chip away the next day and the next day and the next day. And so that's always been a part of my life and practice. Um, and now it's still there. I serve on two boards of nonprofits. I still do my internal external makeovers. I, you know, I volunteer in many ways. Um, my husband runs a nursing home. And so the kids will bake cookies and take a little wagon and go from patient room to patient room and say, you know, do you need anything? Is there anything I can get you? Um, so we're trying with them as well to realize, yes, there's a lot that's important about you, of course, but you must make space in who you are to be of service to others. The media, the powerful media that you have access to and in some ways control over and with the events going on globally, the, the instability that we're seeing in various regions, how do you feel that media can help to foster inclusivity and increase our understanding of our fellow human beings? You know, it's, it's tricky because the media that can do that exists. The question is, is it appearing on your phone? Because the algorithms control what is showing up. 
not just on Facebook and you know social media. People think that it's it's Google that if you are a more liberal leaning person and you type in climate change is onto your computer, Google will suggest is a real problem, is detrimental, is destroying the planet. If you are someone who leans more conservative and have that search history on your computer and you type into Google, climate change is, same three words, what is suggested by Google is a hoax, not real. So it's not just social media. That Sometimes people think that, oh, the algorithms are, it's Google. It's the arbiter of everything, what appears to and not. So I know that that connective media is there. It's, is it pushed as much by the algorithms? Because again, all these companies, all of them make money on the attention extraction model. The more that you are looking at your phone, the more ads slip by and the more money they make. And sometimes uh, many, many of those ads are imperceptible to you. We each see, and again, this is more specific for America, but I imagine it's true of a lot of the world that's leaning on their screens, five to 7,000 ads a day. Now, we don't consciously register them all, but that's how many we see. And so the screen will always show you the darkest, the worst. I just did um, a national radio show, uh, Glenn Beck. Uh, They asked me to speak as a Muslim on what was happening in Israel and Palestine. And I said, there are four things that both sides have in common. And this is true of Russia, Ukraine, liberals, conservatives, is that one, everyone is seeing the absolute worst of the other side on their screens. Two is that everyone is not seeing the worst of their own sides on the screen, is that every side is a little bit blind to their own flaws. And three is in a soundbite viral world, the electors that the, the people that are elected as leaders represent fewer and fewer of the people that they're supposed to represent. And four is the repercussions of those leaders' decisions are are born by the average citizen. And so the media can be made. It's what is the distribution to the media for it to appear on your screen that is the real problem, which is why with Connect Effect, I'm trying to get people to talk in person because if you lean on your screens, you'll think you have nothing in common. And so the trick that we're going to have, and I think at some point governments are going to have to get involved, that either they change the financial model that it's not just attention extraction um, or even things like you can't have ads on Facebook that don't have a receipt. You know, you have foreign governments everywhere buying ads that put polarizing material and there's no receipt of it. And so there are guardrails that can be put on. So the media can do it. The problem is the distribution channels of these tech companies are not doing it. They're making it worse. And so I think it's very hard for people to see real subtlety and nuance and that things are not black and white on their screens. And that's why I keep trying to bring people together in groups so that people can, in the real world, see, and more importantly, not even see or hear, feel each other. Because again, so much of what we feel from each other is nonverbal because media is so polarizing. And so I know many, many projects that people have done, myself included, that are really great, thoughtful, conversations, experiences, debates that bring people together. It's just they don't, it's rare that they go viral. And so that's the big issue that we're having now. And I do think it's going to require government intervention at some point 
because otherwise the it, it's showing that the world is burning and making money off of it every day. What are your aspirations when it comes to leaving a positive impact on others? Like, have you thought of what your legacy would be? No, you know, you're getting older when people ask about your legacy. Um, <laughs> I would say I would like to have, I would like to reinvent a sense of community again. And even that relates to Connect Effect, we're trying to reinvent the community center, which has gone away in large degree. I mean, obviously we have Jamathkana, you know, which is which is a wonderful option for us, for smileys. But for people who either don't go or of different faiths that don't have access to the spaces, the community center has disappeared. Um, and so trying to reinvent it in a way that is an entertainment venue for people to enjoy each other's company. I think so much of what I do, you know, I really love the work that Oprah did as she built her career. I think less so now, you know, in the in the early days, she would have great conversations between real people in the audience. Now it's all celebrities and big giveaways. And obviously, she still has amazing impact. But it's that early days that I used to really love, um, where where her work and her media projects would really show people the humanity in each other. And I think at the end of the day, people just want to be seen and heard. And I think we're losing forums where that exists and where people can do that. And so I think it's to really revitalize a sense of neighborhood and connection. You know, the, when we define what is the connect effect, the connect effect is with the right connection, it leads to conversation which is the foundation of community. That's the connect effect, connection, conversation, community. And so I really do, this company is very much what I want to be my legacy. Because ideally, you know, in, in five, 10 years, we have 150 locations around the world. All, everything in connect effect is primary colored. You put adults in primary colors, it's a very specific response. You know, we're never in primary colors past the age of five and six. And yet it's such a, such a, emotional response and spaces where people can drop in on human connection. I'm feeling lonely. I know I feel lonely. Where do I go? I'm going to go to a Starbucks. Everyone's on their phone. I go to a bar. Everyone's on their phone. No one makes conversation. You know, we at our centers, we have such a specific proactive mechanism of, of making introductions between people so that people are not left to their own devices. And so I really think connect effect is what I would like to be my legacy to use decades of really creating immersive entertainment experiences that created perspective shifts and transformation is what I've done for 20 years. You know, families in crisis, people women with their bodies, you know, people with low self-esteem, that's what I've done. And so to be able to utilize that in this epidemic of loneliness to create connection, because it's always there. There's never the, the, any two people from any background, any generation, any ethnicity can find deep, meaningful connection if they're looking for it. Again, if you change what you're looking for, it'll change what you see. And um, I I was um, Princess Rima of Saudi Arabia, who's now the Saudi ambassador to the US, reached out to me years ago and said, I'm a big fan of one of your makeover shows. And it's funny, the women, they do look different at the end, but you're changing their self-esteem in a very short period of time. Can you come to Saudi and this generation of women that are about to enter the workforce? And then can you create either workshops or programs for them to be able to quickly develop a vision for their lives so that when they enter the workforce and start earning, they can make that come true. And so I think the pivot for me of legacy is moving away from 
Hollywood and entertainment per se, and using the same skill set of creating these transformative, immersive experiences to make people feel connected and hopeful and feel proud of themselves. That I think is 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 the legacy work I want to do, is to make people feel seen and heard and appreciated because that's really what everyone wants. You know, even if they're screaming and yelling and posting and uh, what they really are saying is I don't feel seen, I don't feel heard. Um, and that's all I, is people, I see you, I hear you and what you feel matters to me. That is what I would like to do in the projects I do, in the spaces I create through connect effects, through four chais, through the work I do at the shelter. That's my, that's my golden compass is, is how do we create enjoyable? Because again, if it's, if it's a workshop or therapy, obviously there's benefits to those, but if you can make it enjoyable, if you can make people enjoy the process of connecting, then it's really a win-win. Um, because human connection should be the most enjoyable thing in the world. And so I'd like to be able to bring it back in a way that is accessible, it's available, and it's enjoyable. This is so incredibly powerful. I think that as we had this advent of globalization and with the advent of the internet, we did get to people's eyes, but did we really get to understand one another? That was the piece that's really mm -hmm. missing, the connection. And I really hope that like yourself, many of our listeners, many of the people in this world will also attempt to build that sense of community, that sense of connection, where we can actually be really embodying this spirit of global citizenship at some point i think it's i think it's so key what you said that we see we we get each we see each other on our screens and the the strange paradigm of this era we're living in is that even though we all live in an information age connection is not remotely information based and so much of what's going through our screens is information look at this article look at this post read this and it goes to our eyes and but it gets processed with the brain and the ego, which is why we often want to be right, is because we're engaging each other with information and it becomes an ego battle. What I'm trying to do in these experiences is for it to go deeper, that I don't just see the information, but I feel it. And again, so much of that comes when we're in person. That's how we're hardwired. You know, you take two trees that are near each other. And you see the leaves and the trunk and all. none of that has to do with the communication between the trees. It's all in the root system. Humans over thousands, that's how we work. It's in the root system. It's when we're in proximity. Empathy kicks in so much more when we're in, in physical proximity. And so I think that ability to create great empathy and feel connected, uh, the, the real need for that is, is in-person community because... I think in a world we have more and more information, we're feeling more and more alone. We're feeling overwhelmed, if anything else. And so much is coming at us every single day. We go from one tragedy to the next, and we can do so little that it develops this helplessness almost, which makes people feel worse. You know, I, I did research at University of Pennsylvania with this one of the greatest minds, Dr. Martin Seligman, and he had this theory of learned helplessness that when you took a rat and you would you know he'd press a lever and he'd get a shock 
you know, as that would happen more and more, then the lever was for food. Eventually, he would stop trying. And I think that's where we're getting and why the mental health issues are so high is that we see so much that is wrong with the world and we can do so little about it. And so we feel helpless and we feel inconsequential. And that makes us feel terrible. But when you are in community and you do acts of seva and you see, I can make a difference if only to have a conversation with someone who seemed down and I made them feel better or I just listened to them. It doesn't matter if you made them feel better. I just listened to them. That reinforcement of the power we have as people really only comes from the real world. And I think that's something that I'm trying to get people is how do we connect again to the real world? Because that's where that comes from. And I think global citizens is a wonderful concept in theory in the same way of a global economy. But we know the practicalities of a global economy is, you know, there are people who are being paid pennies and pennies to make the cheap stuff that we're buying on Amazon that, and there's, you know, um, manufacturing in America plummeted. So it's a tricky thing to be global in every way. And so I think, yes, to have a global eye on things, but to feel like a meaningful, integral part of your community that you can go to and help and assist and feel good. And that's the part that we've sort of given over in our screens to global and world is the meaningfulness of our own community. In, in America, we have people in California, neighbors who have stopped talking because of things that are happening in Florida. Now, there are problems that the neighbors in California could solve and work on together, but they won't talk to each other because of the news they're hearing from Florida. And so finding a way not just to step away from the screens, but to offer a guided, curated, easy alternative to reconnect with people, to be introduced to people, that I think is needed to remind us that we're not just edits. You know, really, the thing I would say of having spent two decades in the entertainment industry is that everything that ever appears on you to fear you on the screen is an edit. Everything, every news story, every article, even our depictions of ourselves, our photos of ourselves are edits. And they're two-dimensional. And so your screen is showing you one perspective. But there's a reason why we are not cyclopses, that we have two eyes that do the exact same thing, not even an inch apart, is that's the only way to see depth. And so your screen, your screen is showing you one perspective. My screen is showing me one perspective is you need at least two perspectives to see anything with depth. And that's why you need to have conversation with people. And it's not, let me just reiterate what I know. It's what do I not know? What am I not seeing? Because this is only giving me one point of view. And so I think the key to that connection that leads to a sense of real citizenship and community is found in the real world. And that is needed now. And I think that's the solution to so many things. And I also think intergenerationally, when we do Connect Effect, the, the underlying system of Connect Effect is called EPIC, E-P-I-C, Equalization, Personalization, Information Gathering, Collaboration. The first step, the most important, any connection you have will live and die by this first step is e-equalization. If you don't believe the person you are engaging with is a true, profound equal in the human sense, you will never connect. What we've done so well with Connect Effect over seven years of testing, and many years didn't go well, is how can we equalize a group of people from any background, any generation, any belief system? And we've really perfected the methodology. 
I love intergenerational friendships that you end up when we do connect. In fact, you have a 35 year old sitting next to a 70 year old and they're able to connect and talk in a way that the real world will often separate. Oh, you're over 60, go sit there. You're under 20, go sit there. And so I think those intergenerational friendships and connections are a solution to so many problems. For older people, it's physical health. For younger people, it's mental health. And so I think we don't, we live around thousands and thousands of people that we often don't meet. It's how can we meet them and be reminded of them and be in the face and presence of their humanity to make us feel like those trees in the root system, that we are part of something bigger. I think that is so needed to feel that real sense of citizenship and civic wellness along with mental wellness is I belong to something, I matter. And I think so much of those answers come from real engagement in the real world. We are recording this session today on December 13th, that is on the Salgira, the birthday of our beloved Imam. What is something you would like to express to the Imam and the Ismaili community on this auspicious occasion? I am so proud to be an Ismaili. I am so proud of this community that walks with this balance of the spiritual life and the secular life. I think it's so incredible to have this living imam that navigates that as the world changes, as atomic age came, as the information age came, as the new era of AI comes, that we have someone who is guiding us through this, that we're not stuck just in older ancient texts, although there's wisdom to be found there, that there is a balance that balance is tricky, but it is, I think, the only path forward. And so I'm really continually impressed by our community and that ability to say, we are not just a part of a spiritual community, but we must take pride in being part of different communities where we live, the nations we live in, the cities we live in. Um, I was uh, doing a project for the Ismaili in Houston, where Prince Amin was receiving an award from the mayor of Houston, that after that horrific hurricane, the Ismailis mobilized so quickly, and he was in awe of it, that you have this spiritual community that is so connected to service, not just for themselves, but for anyone, that you were there in the greatest tragedy, one of the greatest tragedies the city had ever gone through. And so I hope that on this special occasion that people feel that pride and that uniqueness of who we are and how we live and how we navigate and how this imam for so many years has helped us adapt and learn and adjust so that we can be spiritually fulfilled but also integral meaningful members of community and i think that's where happiness comes from it comes from that balance and um i think on this special occasion that's something that's very much top of mind for me is how unique that is and how lucky we are to be a part of that um that's very much what i think about today so 
So lastly, would you like to share a message with our audience, our listeners today? I think the most important thing, you know, each of us are a part of a family, you know, we're part of a community, but the person that we will always be around is ourselves. And so I hope that people, whether they are beginning a new profession, whether they are moving, whether they've just graduated and they're not sure where to go, and it can feel overwhelming. And again, I think one of the things my dad said later in life is he's like, we, he had like 10 options for profession and now there's 750,000 is to really take the time to know who you are. And that takes time and to believe in yourself in a way that will keep you going that believe in yourself right from the start, right from the start, and you will make mistakes and things will go wrong. But if you believe in yourself and just try, that will get you to the next step and then the next step and then the next step. And that's all of what the journey of life seems to be. And, you know, I'm, I now have small children, I'm watching them, is just do the next best thing you can. And to really, in this era of screens, to be careful that the outside voices don't drown out your own voice in your head. And, you know, there are many times where people were saying from the outside, it's not going to work, it's not going to happen, don't do it, don't be that way. And I had to lean on me to say, no, I believe in me. And I think that's so key. And that's a lifelong process, but it will get you to the next step and the next step. And that's all you need to know is the next step. You don't need to know the end goal because chances are the end goal is going to shift. And so as someone who really felt for so much of my life that I wasn't part of any group, I felt like the outsider everywhere. I really felt like I was my guide. And that was a lifelong friendship, you know, that got me through some very difficult times. And so I really hope that people can see how wonderful they are, what their talents are, what their skills are, and just embrace those. And there'll be days that you're doing things you don't want to do. That's, that's part of building anything. But just try. There's so much power in just trying. And it will get you to everywhere you need to be. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Smiley Connection. And if you are enjoying the show so far, please give us a review and a five-star rating on the Apple or Google podcast apps. It takes less than five minutes to do that compared to the hours of work that goes into each podcast episode. So we'd be grateful for your time and support. We'd also love to hear your feedback. Reach out to us at ipnpodcast at ipnonline.net. This episode was produced by me and edited by the talented Kes Ali. Marketing for this episode was carried out by the stellar Afreen Patni. Our cover art is designed by the skilled Shakil Muhammad. Also, many thanks to Zoa Momin, the head of strategic initiatives at IBM. And lastly, I'd also like to thank the team behind SimonSays.ai, the software that helps the Smiley Connection get its transcripts.